Welcome to another episode of the Gay Bar Archive Show, where we explore gay history one bar at a time. I'm your host, Art Smith, and today we'll be speaking with Joe Capoletti and Scott Reif, owners of San Francisco's iconic Moby Dick Bar, serving the local community in the Castro District for over 40 years. Welcome to the show, Scott and Joe. Well, thanks. Thanks for having us. This is kind of exciting for us. Yeah, it's kind of exciting for me, too. I'll Uh, bet. My project has been going on for a couple of years, uh, you know, recording all these bars around the country, many of which are long gone. But it occurred to me that it's important also to record the history of the bars that are still in existence, especially bars like yours that have been there for over four decades. Right. And um, so the two of you are the owners of an iconic bar in the Castro District called Moby Dick. That's correct. And uh, Joe, you've been involved in ownership of that for more than half its life, right? About 20, 21 years? Uh, I've owned it since 2002. Okay. So this year will be 20 years. 20 years. And it opened, I'm sorry? About 20 years. About 20 years, yeah. And it opened in 1979? No, 77. Okay. So what was your first experience with Moby Dick? When did you first walk in there and experience Moby Dick? Okay. Well, I used to work at uh, Leticia's, which was a, rest- a Mexican restaurant and bar on Market Street, uh, not too far from Moby Dick. And so after I got off of work there, which was about 1030, I used to go into the Moby Dick and, you know, have a drink before I went home. Uh, and so that was my first uh, experience, basically. Although I I used to work on Haight Street uh, and I had uh, left there and wanted to get a job on, in the Castro. So I went and applied for a job at Moby Dick and uh, they didn't want me. So... So I bought the place. There you go. And what year was this? What time frame? It was probably in the early 80s. Okay. So it was still in in its infancy. It was still a relatively new bar at the time. Pretty much. Yeah. For us, well, 77. And it was probably 82 or something that I went in there. Okay. And what what was it like then? What was the neighborhood like? You know, what was the bar like then? Okay. Well, the, the bar was, uh, a lot of fun, actually. They uh, had a nice crowd, especially on the weekends. Uh, the neighborhood was hopping. I mean, there were uh, quite a few bars uh, in the Castro at that point, and uh, a lot of people. This was all before AIDS kind of kicked in. Uh, and uh, so it was exciting to go out uh, to any bar. And Moby Dick was a nice bar because they had a lot of uh, seats at the bar. And after standing up all night bartending, I could sit down if I went there. So, or somebody get up, give me their seat. They were very nice. It was a very nice uh, kind of a neighborhood bar. Uh, and it still is actually. And to put, to put the time frame in perspective, um, not long after Moby Dick opened is when Harvey Milk was assassinated um, and everybody knows the story about Harvey Milk. They've seen the movies. So looking at that, you know, the movies about his life and his camera shop down the street kind of gives you a picture of what it was like when Moby Dick first opened its doors. 
Yes, pretty much. Uh, that's pretty much correct. And actually, uh, something about that that movie is uh, one of our employees is in it. Actually, uh, I I don't know if he has a speaking part, but he's in it. Uh, yes, it was very uh, it was very kind of happening back then. It's uh, it has calmed down quite a bit since then. Now, when Moby Dick first opened, was it? A visible space. I mean, I know it's right on a street corner. The door is right there in your face. But around that time, especially, you know, in the 60s and 70s, especially, a lot of gay bars were hidden behind, you know, windows painted black and doors that were covered. And you couldn't really look into the bar. Was Moby Dick like that when it first opened or was it always kind of visible? No, it was always it always had that. There's a full window all across the front of the bar. And then a window on the side of the bar, and then two more windows uh, upstairs where the pool table is. So it's always had a, a big exposure; people could see into it all the time. Uh, it did have blinds for a while uh, that made it, you know, somewhat gave you a little bit of privacy, but you could see in there. And that's how it is now that we haven't covered the windows at all, right? And we'll show pictures of that so people can get a good view of what the bar looks like on the outside. Right. Now, Scott, what was your first experience with Moby Dick? You know, I'd been in there a couple of times before Joe purchased it um, with his partner, but um, most of my exposure is post-purchase by Joe. So since Joe's been the owner since then, that's been my experience. Most of the other bars around there I'd been into, you know, it was a much very eclectic environment before in the Castro where you could go from bar to bar and run into different kinds of bars, be it dance or be it um, leather. leather or be it, you know, just kind of a dive bar, whatever. There were just a series of different places you can go to to have a good time. And um, I had been into Moby Dick, but I hadn't really spent much time in there prior to that. Yeah, we can't help but notice that the name of the bar has kind of phallic implications. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you just can't brush over that. It was obviously intentional. The name was put up there for a reason. And I'm assuming when they when the bar first opened in the 70s, it was probably, what, 99% male? It was a very, very much a men's bar at that time? Yes, very much so. And I noticed even in a lot of your uh, current social media posts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, a lot of the pictures show kind of beefy, macho, uh, shirtless men. Are you? Is that an intentional thing to kind of keep the f- flavor of what the bar was to some extent? Um, not really. We found that we get a lot more uh, response um, from those pictures than other pictures. Uh, but uh, we, uh, as of late, have stopped putting a lot of that kind of picture up or putting um, kind of funny things up on, on, on our Facebook page uh, and kind of shying away from the, you know, half naked men. But um, I don't know if you've taken a uh, long look at our logo, but uh, uh, if you do, uh, there's a big penis in it. Yeah. Which (laughs) people, some people, uh, it took me three years to figure it out uh, after, before I bought it, when I was just sitting in there, you know. Uh, but, 
and that's intentional. So. Now I've also noticed on your uh, social media pages, there have been a number of pieces of artwork that have been shown that appear to be um, somebody's, I don't know, suggestion or interpretation of what your logo might be. Um, is, is that something that you've had interaction with your clientele and say, Hey, you know, why don't you draw something up that's Moby Dick oriented and we'll post it on our Facebook or put it on the wall or, or. Well, uh, before I bought it, uh, Victor and uh, the other people with him uh, would have uh, contests for uh, like t-shirt logo, you know, uh, t-shirts with, uh, you know, Moby Dick on it. And they would come up with their own, concept of a logo and scott has some in his lap here that he's just kind of fooling around with yeah uh so So, yeah okay that's cool yeah and that's obviously 30 years old that is that that is just 1990 yeah so we have a whole bunch of those uh some people gave us uh one of our friends who moved away gave us I don't know, about a dozen or so T-shirts uh, from back then. Uh, but we have uh, all the a lot of the artwork, and I took a lot of it and framed it. So whenever we don't have something that we can put up on the walls, uh, we throw those up there until we uh, figure out something else to put up. When the bar first started out, and even now, we try to have artists in, but they used to have artists every month and basically put up an art show. Um, and we still invite artists in to do our walls. But it's a great way to give gay artists um, an avenue to show their art. Right. It keeps the bar fresh because every time you, you know, every time you come in, the same poster has been there for 40 years. You get kind yeah. of tired of looking at it. So Yeah, we change, we like to change that out a lot. Now, one thing that hasn't been changed in quite a while is mm. a 250 gallon fish tank that's sitting above the bar. Um, yeah, how did that, uh, has that always been there, or is that something that that was it's, a, it's been there as long as I've uh, gone in there? So, so, and I believe it was there. It was a part of the bar uh, since it opened, and it's 250 gallons of uh, salt water uh, with some real coral in it and uh, a whole bunch of fish. So, uh, it's it's pretty cool. People watch it, you know, relax. Uh, sometimes <laughs> every year for Halloween, we put our major scene in. No, not, not Halloween, Halloween Christmas. Christmas. Sorry, <laughs> it's a holiday, yeah. Um, but yeah, we have a major scene we put in the tank in the front for Christmas inside the fish tank, yes, yeah. Sir. It's been big, there ever since. It's a big hit, very cool. Yeah, I know yeah. that you're looking People at some of the it. pictures, you do a good bit of decorating for the holidays for whether it's Christmas or Easter, or there's been a number of different themes that have had some holiday okay. decorations. And I, I guess that's because it's part part of the um, Rhoda wants to get in on this Who is that? Rhoda. Rhoda. Is she's, little dog. So she's the third owner of the bar, right? She's the bar. Yes, Pretty she much is. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's trying to get in the picture here. Well, anyhow, uh, yeah, the 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 tank uh, is actually quite expensive to keep up and everything, but I, I think we have a big uh outcry if we ever took it down so and i like it i think it's pretty and uh, we have somebody coming in to take care of it uh like once every two weeks and uh 
you know, sometimes he all put in a, a new fish or whatever. Uh, but it's uh, it's kind of a staple. It's a part of the bar. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people say that, you know, that saltwater fish tanks especially are kind of calming. You know, when people are sitting there at the bar sipping on a drink or whatever, you're looking at a, a saltwater tank, it kind of relaxes you a little bit. It takes the... It the, does, yeah. You, you just have this moving colorful image in front of you that's really peaceful there's, you know people you know they like to watch something if they're not going to watch tv that works out well now originally um we said that the bar was almost exclusively male when it opened back in the 70s how has that changed over the years are you seeing more women more transgender people more drag queen well other than the performers more drag queens coming in as as um patrons or has it still maintained predominantly male clientele it's a ever since i've owned it it's been a neighborhood bar uh so anybody that comes in there can come in there it's mostly gay men but i have a lot of straight men straight women uh drag queens transgender whatever you know uh black and white chinese the whole shebang uh, is welcome at Moby Dick, and they come in and have a good time. Uh, we try to make it a very uh, welcoming uh, place to be. So uh, we get a good eclectic bunch of people in there. Uh, but I would say on a busy night, maybe 80 to 90 percent are gay men. Which is not surprising. I know um, I first came out went to my first gay bar in 1978. And um, at that time, almost all of the bars were male anyway, whether they wanted right. to be or not. The, it just seemed like the lesbian crowd did not go out the way gay men did. And I know back in the 70s and 80s, um, even though I was working, you know, a nine to five job during the day, I was out at a bar probably five or six nights a week because that right. was the only place that you could hang out with your friends and meet like-minded people and feel like you were not a pariah. You know, it's the only place you had any level of security and acceptance from society was when you were in a gay bar with other gay people. That's true. And, and that has all changed now with the internet and, uh, you know, apps like Grindr and uh, what have you, uh, where, you know, people do their shopping online, so to speak. Uh, but I think people all still like a brick and mortar to come out and see who's there, what's going on. It's more of a, a communal friendship, uh, you know, cruise type uh, situation. Now you do you do a lot of um, performances there. From what I've seen online and in the videos, uh, you have a nice stage set up. It's not like some little riser box in the corner that a drag queen can kind of halfway step on. It looks like a proper stage. Um, well, uh, what it is really is there's two step. Our bar is on two levels, and there are two steps that you have to go up to get to where the pool table and the pinball machines are. And um, when there's a show, we just put a black curtain up uh, in front of the pool table, and then there's a red curtain in front of that. And so they have a small area to uh, perform on. And they use the stairs as well and go out into the crowd. But they, 
it's it does look like a proper stage, but it's really uh, uh, not very wide. You know, you can put a set up there. Uh, so it's usually just one or two or three people up there um, because that's all you can fit. And for that one party you have pictures of, it was we moved the pool table way back for that one. But normally we don't do that. Right. It looks like the crowd really gets into that, too. It's a very interactive type entertainment, I guess, because it's not like a a show bar where you may be sitting 20 feet away from the drag queen and, you know, it's way out of your reach. They're kind of in your face when they're performing and they really sure are. They'll yeah. come right down and get on, you know, get into the audience as well. Yeah. They're, well, you know, when, when there's a show, we actually have to close off half of the bar because, you know, the the pool table and stuff is in the back behind the black curtain. So there's less area. And so, so therefore all the people are concentrated, you know, in the front of the bar. Uh, and yes, they have, that's where they perform because there's more room down there. Now, what inspired you to get involved in the ownership of a gay bar 20 years ago? Um, well, I was a bartender for 30 years, I think it was. And um, I really uh, couldn't uh, bartend anymore. I was, uh, people were starting to get to me. Um, I actually took a, a, a IQ test or a aptitude test to see what else I could do. And uh, the aptitude test came back and said that I should be a bartender. So uh, I didn't want to do that. So I decided the only thing I could do uh, is own a bar and then I don't have to be a bartender and it's a business that I know. And so that's what I did. And, and why Moby Dick? Uh, because uh, I was going in there and uh, my future partner worked there and uh, he, the owner of the place, Victor, uh, was wanting to sell it. And I happened to come into some money, and so we decided to buy it. And it's a it's a decision that you do not regret to this day. I I don't regret it. I love that bar. I think it's a great bar. I think it's a lot of fun. It's like a little jewel box in the neighborhood. Uh, we really keep it up. Uh, we try to improve it all the time. So yeah, no, I have no regrets. So, Scott, if you were going to describe Moby Dick to somebody who has never been there and never seen a picture of it, and you're trying to impress upon them what is special and, you know, why they should be want to come to visit the bar, how would you describe it to people? Well, I would start by saying that it truly is a neighborhood bar. Everybody is welcome. And the bar itself is set up for people to just casually talk to each other. The um, overall is done in hardwood um, like much like a deck of a boat would be and so it's got a lot of nice pretty wood it's got great places to sit and relax and nice things to look at Um, as well as you know our art and everything else it's really just a place of comfort with a lot of history and some of that history is displayed on the walls and some of the history is just the people that are there that would be my my description and what about you joe um, he pretty much encapsulated it. Uh, you know, we have a, it's a, it's just a nice atmosphere. We have really nice bartenders. We're very lucky. Uh, you know, everybody loves our bartenders. Uh, they have a good time. Uh, the people that come in have a good time. 
And so uh, I, I think it, I think it's a great bar personally, and not just because I own it, because I used to go in there even before I owned it. So um, I like it a lot. Now, over the course of 40 years, I'm sure there must be some interesting things that have happened there. You know, in, in the course of my research, I've discovered stories of, um, you know, crazy altercations that have happened, uh, people getting shot inside or leaving bars, arsons, all kinds of things that go on. Um, are there any stories associated with Moby Dick that are really, you know, things that people may not know about right off the top of their head, but but you do because you've been around and you've been part of the, the ownership for quite a while? Well, before I bought the bar, I, I used to go in there, as I said, after work. And uh, one time I went in there with a bunch of my coworkers from Leticia's and um, I was sitting in the front w- window. There was a, there was a bench there in the front window at the time. And I was talking to one of the waitresses and uh, somebody drove by and shot uh, a gun through the window. And the bullet went between her neck and my neck. Uh, and I got uh, glass in my gums and stuff like that, but I did not get shot nor did she, nor did anybody else. Because when the police came, they took their flashlight and uh, uh, put it over the bullet hole to see the, the trajectory of the bullet, see if they could find it. And um, um, I can't remember if they found it or not, but you know, nobody uh, dropped dead or anything after the shot. But that was kind of weird. Uh, and then another time I was sitting at the other end of the bar, uh, farther away from the window, and somebody drove by again because there's a stop sign on 18 so they could stop uh, and and shot through the top of the window this time. And um, and then I decided to buy it. So I don't know what kind of uh, judgment <laughs> I have. <laughs> so but uh, I didn't get hurt. And I believe that they were uh, random things. Uh, and we haven't had anything like that uh, happen while I've owned it. Uh, and that was, you know, 25 to 30 years ago. So hopefully we don't have any more of that going on. But it happened to to me, basically. And you were there both times? Yes. <laughs> hmm. That's yeah. suspicious. Do you have a target on your back? Scott, does he have I, a target on his not, back? Not anymore. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hope not. No, because I've been, I, yeah, I got shot at that that time. Somebody shot out a a window where I lived once somebody went home to get a rifle to come back and shoot me. Um, but I got off before he could find his rifle and get back, uh, which he did. He came back with his, with his gun. Um, and so I've been kind of lucky, I guess, uh, although been shot at a few times, uh, nobody's ever hit me. You know, Scott on his next, uh, birthday or Christmas or whatever, you might consider a um, Moby Dick bulletproof vest. Yeah. Well, we're having our 130th birthday there next this year, so um, we might do it for that. Yeah, he's going to be 60. I'm going to be 70. All right then. Yeah, that's quite the birthday celebration. Not a whole lot of 130 30th birthday <laughs> parties around. Really? Uh, yeah, and I'll ask for a Kevlar suit or something. There, there you go. 
<laughs> Maybe they can make Kevlar T-shirts with with the movie. Yeah, that's logo a good on. idea. Yeah, there you go. That would be Moby cool. Dick bulletproof T-shirts. <laughs> so, do you do you sell any memorabilia from your bar? Do you have Moby Dick T-shirts that people can buy or anything like? We that? do have uh, we have Moby Dick T-shirts and we have hats oh, with Moby cool. Dick with our logo on it. And finally, for the current period, we also have masks. Oh, oh. yeah. And I saw a Christmas ornament on your Facebook page. Is that an actual existing Moby Dick, or is that something that somebody doctored up with Photoshop? That's funny because somebody else asked me that. Uh, it uh, it was something I I created in Photoshop. I just cool. put our, our logo on it and then kind of made it wrap around the ornament. Very cool. But that's just yeah, I should get some. You should. Yeah. So Moby Dick has been there for 40 plus years. What is the secret to the success of that bar? My opinion would be don't change what it is. Let it remain a neighborhood bar. Let it remain everybody's place and a place that people can have memories at for themselves and for each other, but not become something new and different or fancy. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, uh, I think the draw uh, to Moby Dick is that it's always been a neighborhood bar and it hasn't been um, for a specific crowd. It hasn't been for uh, just older people or, you know, a young dance bar or, uh, you know, uh, like daddies that used to be where 440s is, was like bear type uh, people. Our bar uh, caters to all types, everybody. And so I think, therefore, it, it uh, doesn't exclude uh, anybody. And um, it's just a nice, friendly bar to be in. I think that's pretty much the draw. Um, we've improved the way it's looked over the years, uh, but we haven't really changed it very much. I mean, we we put in a new floor, Scott over the... A COVID uh, thing, uh, refinished the entire bar uh, and varnished it with some uh, Vera thing that was like boat boat Vera thing, which is appropriate. Uh, yeah, and uh, he put on five coats, which is something we wouldn't have been able to do uh, if we were open. So I mean, that's there for good now. Um, you know, if we, if we modify the bar, we tend to modify it with the times. Um, an example would be that during COVID, um, it, because we were closed, there was a perspective that we really weren't visible or around or supporting the community. And so we got tagged for a couple of things. So our re resolution to that was to look to the community and have them find us an artist, um, what is considered to be BIPOC. Um, and LGBTQ and uh, find an artist that would do us a mural on the outside. So we have a big, huge mural now that we have out there that's getting quite a bit, bit of attention and it's a really good piece of work. Now that's the, not, that's not the mural of your logo that I've seen. That's it, well, it has logo in it, but it's actually, it's a, it's a Black Lives Matter um, mural and it's basically a jacket with all kinds of um, patches. different patches that support um, black rights, um, LGBTQ rights, um, transgender, transgender rights. And um, basically, it was, it's a large mural, though. I've got a picture of it for you. 
Excellent. We'll put that up so people can see it and appreciate it. Now, my understanding is that when Moby Dick opened and throughout its history, it's kind of been a little bit of what we would call an upscale bar as far as the appearance is concerned. I mean, if you remember back in the 70s, um, a lot of gay bars were kind of dumpy and grimy and dirty and dark. And Moby Dick's has always been kind of a little bit more upscale. It's a little bit richer trimmings in it and a little bit cleaner looking, a little bit nicer bar. Is is that part of what you think maybe the success is? Is that, that people appreciate that now that nobody wants to, well, other than segments like maybe the Eagles and things like that. But in general, the, the LGBT population doesn't want to go into a bar that is dirty and grimy because they feel like they're part of the general population. They want something nice and shiny and sparkly. Well, I, I don't know. I think there's a place for, uh, you know, the, the both types of bars, you know, the nice clean uh, look and then the grimy get down and get dirty kind of a place. Uh, but uh, for us, it, yeah, we keep it clean and, we like it that way and people uh, comment on it, how nice it is to go in there because we don't play the music so loud that you can't hear. You can have a conversation with somebody. And so uh, I think that helps a lot. And as far as upscale, it was kind of a mess when we when I first bought it. Um, and we made some altercations and, you know, alterations and, um, yeah, not altercations. We had a lot of altercations. <laughs> But we uh, we uh, we put a big mirror behind the bar, which there wasn't before. And, uh, you know, Scott and I have gotten the floors, the floors changed. Um, and, you know, he uh, did the top of the bar. So we uh, put a lot of money into uh, fixing it up, but not changing it so much that uh, somebody who had not been in there for 10 years could walk in and still see that it was. Moby Dick, which is what it is, yeah. You know, we'd like you anybody to be comfortable there. We'd also like it that if you brought your mother, your mother would not be uncomfortable or feel weird because it was so dirty or something like that. So it's really everybody's place, but it's meant to be a living room. Yeah. And this place to live in. And the guy that uh, opened it originally, his name was Victor. Uh, he was a pantyhose heir. Uh, somebody in his family invented pantyhose and uh he had a lot of money and so he opened it up and um you know he spent a fair amount of money to uh you know get it up and going um so i think it started out pretty good which wasn't really necessary in the 70s because in the Uh, 70s people you know gay people would go to any bar they could find didn't care for somebody's basement or garage as long as they go in there and, and feel safe and have a drink or two yeah exactly now, how big is the bar? How many square feet do you have, roughly? It's uh, 1,600 square feet. So it's not a huge, monstrous bar. What kind, of, what kind of occupancy do you have? A little under 90. Okay. And part of that is because the upstairs has a pool table. So, you know, we, the space is not as large. Right. But it's a nice yeah, well, thing. Go ahead. It's a nice cozy bar. It's not this big sprawling metropolis that people would go in there and get lost. Oh, no, it's hard to get lost in there. We did have uh, a couple of problems because 
there, there's a bathroom upstairs where the pool table is up the two stairs there. And uh, the bartenders uh, would, if somebody came up and said, where's the bathroom? Uh, and they would say, well, you have to go up the stairs to the right. And for some reason, a few of those people went outside and then uh, up the stairs and to the right and knocked on the door. And it was where somebody lived, you know, and he got pissed off that we were telling people to go to his apartment to use the bathroom, um, which we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just people that were slightly intoxicated and disoriented. Yeah, yeah, very bad at directions. Uh, I kind of found it funny because the guy upstairs has given us some problems. But uh, we're past that now. Yeah, well, that happens sometimes. And yeah, what are you going to do? So one thing that's interesting was interesting to me about Moby Dick. And it's something that is pretty unique for any gay bar anywhere is that decades ago, there was actually a Moby Dick record label. Right. Now, how did that come about? Um, I believe Victor financed that. And uh, it was uh, quite a success, actually, uh, until, uh, like, I don't know, 80-something. 86, I think. 86 or something. But all the people involved with it, all the, all the brains behind it, um, died of AIDS, so they uh, closed it down. Uh, there's still somebody out there uh, selling the best of Moby Dick uh, records, CDs. Um, uh, but uh, I I don't know. I I know that if I go look for something, there's five hundred and something dollars is owed to the Moby Dick bar uh, for I don't know what but I'm kind of afraid to open that can of worms. <laughs> so I have yeah. quite a few albums um, and we've got probably maybe 20 of them or 15 of them framed and we put them up in the bar every once in a while. What kind of music was it mostly? All disco. It was all disco. So that, must, all have disco. Been, that must have been in the beginning of the bar then the, the 70s into the mid 80s. It was the late 70s uh, into the 80s. Yeah, it was like People like Yvonne Elliman, and uh, uh, it was a, the the record label that recorded Sylvester. Uh, it was their kind of talent, kind of uh, trickled over to the Moby Dick uh, label. So was Sylvester um, on that label or not? Uh, no, he wasn't. I think he got sick. Uh, like, like when, um, the people who were creating the label, uh, also got sick. It really kind of devastated, um, a lot of things. Uh, and it certainly shut down that. Well, especially in San Francisco. And, you know, at that time frame, I was living, um, in Atlanta mostly. And, I've had this conversation with a couple other people before, and I have a feeling you're going to confirm the same thing there. When, when the AIDS crisis hit, when it first came out in public in the early 80s, we heard about it in Atlanta, but we didn't care. You know, in Atlanta, it was a foreign thing. It was almost like there's a disease that happened in China. 
You know, we didn't, it wasn't affecting us. It was New York, it was San Francisco, and maybe Los Angeles. And that was pretty much where the early focus was. That's where all the, the cases were being diagnosed, where the people were dying, where the bathhouses were closing. And so I'm sure when Moby Dick was opening, which was, you know, they'd only been open four or five years when that started, it was a really big thing in the San Francisco market. Um, not only because a lot of the patrons were getting sick and dying, but other patrons that were not sick had a dozen friends who were sick and dying. So it had a big impact on the scene there. And yet Moby Dick survived that. I mean, the bar kept going right through that and succeeded well for 40 years. It's true. Uh, but, you know, the whole the whole bar scene uh, changed uh, when AIDS happened because, uh, uh, you know, people were frightened. They didn't know how it was spread at first. And, uh, you know, people were afraid to go out. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I, I didn't own the bar at the time, but I certainly worked in uh, uh, the business. And Letitia's, I don't know if you know about Letitia's, was a very popular uh, gay restaurant and bar uh, just a couple of blocks from where Moby Dick's is. And, uh, you know, the business just dropped everywhere. I, I, I used to work at the Deluxe when it first started, when AIDS was first uh, happening. And uh, it, it affected uh, our, our business there as well. I'm, I'm not quite sure how Moby Dick got through that, but it got through it. And I think it got through it because it was like a family in there. And it still is. Most of the people that uh, came in there at that point uh, all knew each other. And so, therefore, you know, they kept uh, coming in. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know exactly how it lived through that. Uh, it's probably how we're living through COVID right at the moment. I Absolutely. Right. Okay. You want to continue? Yeah. Scott will be back. <laughs> All right, then. Yeah. So, speaking of COVID, um, you've been closed a couple of times during COVID, right? You've, you've closed and then reopened and then closed. And currently, you are not open. We are open today. Oh, Okay. We opened today is our first day open again after uh, two weeks. We decided to close because one of our employees uh, that had been vaccinated and boosted had a breakthrough uh, infection. So uh, we, we, and uh, it seemed like the Omicron, is that how you said? Omicron. Uh, variant was uh, really kind of taking off here. And I thought, and so did Scott, that, you know, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve are very busy nights for us. Uh, and those would have been the perfect nights to spread uh, that particular variant. And instead of uh, staying open and, you know, making that extra money, we decided that uh, we should uh, close, um, you know, so that uh, people wouldn't get sick so that our employees wouldn't get sick. And, uh, you know, our employee that had been sick had time to recover and we could see if any of our other employees got it from him. So um, we decided to close for two weeks. So 
Today is the first day uh, that we're open since that point. And before that, we closed for the whole pandemic. Other bars opened up, put little parklets outside uh, and things like that. But it, it was not a financially uh, smart thing to do for us because it would have cost us more money to open the door and sell those drinks to somebody outside um, than it would cost us, uh, you know, to just keep it closed. And it gave you a chance to do a little facelift, a little house cleaning. Exactly. We did that. You know, of course, I'd, we'd rather be open, but there was no way we could have made enough money to cover uh, the expenses that uh, would occur if we were open again. Uh, you know, because uh, we had a deal with our landlord. We had, you know, uh, we had the trash, you know, stop coming in. Uh, you know, the electricity went from $1,000 a month to uh, $20 a month. So, uh, I mean, and we, you know, it costs a lot of money just to stay in uh, suspended animation. Right. Especially when people, I know from my own experience, um, when the COVID lockdowns were in place, um, I tended to go out less, period. Whether it was yeah. out for dinner or out for a drink or out shopping, I mm-hmm. restricted the amount of times I was out in public. And you multiply that by the whole, you know, city of San Francisco. And it's a big, I mean, you might have 10, 15% of your business showing up at the bar, but you still have 100% of the expenses. So exactly, yeah. exactly what you're saying there. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for, you know, several loans. We got two PPP loans and I got a loan uh, from uh, one of my credit cards and we had a GoFundMe page, uh, which raised $26,000, which was great. And then our uh, employees had uh, their own GoFundMe page. And uh, I think I think they raised 15000 So, uh, you know, all of that kept us going, but it was uh, dicey for a while. Well, it sounds to me like, you know, as you will remember back in, uh, we were talking earlier, the 70s and 80s, um, a lot of the gay bars were very community oriented because you would go in there, you would see the owners, it was a friendly face behind the bar, if mm. you would tell them your troubles, if you oh, yeah. got, you know, into jail or having a fight with your boyfriend or whatever, the owner of the bar knew it because that was, you know, one of your buddies, that was one of your confidants. And right. um, we had a bar in Atlanta that uh, was run by a lesbian, but she, all of her bars were predominantly gay male bars, even though she was not a gay male. Uh-huh. Um, her, her name was Dina Collins and uh, still is Dina Collins. And she is <laughs> no, and she's still alive. She's 86 or 87 years old. Wow. Um, but her tagline on her bar was a bar with a sense of community. And that sounds like exactly what Moby Dick is like. The reason that you've been able to raise money through GoFundMe, both for your staff and for your bar expenses is because you are a part of the community because people respect that. And you've given to them for 40 years and they feel like they want to give back. You're not some flash in the pan that came in there and tried to get all this money from the gay community and then said, hey, give us more money because we're get open. You're part right. of the community. Yeah, and a lot of people have met their, you know, significant others there. And, um, you know, it is a, a part of the community. 
and uh, the people that come in regularly are uh, uh, family, basically. You know, they come see each other. They come to see the bartenders, and uh, and it's a fun place to be. So, so you, you have a lot of regulars there. Well, during the in most bars that are regulars, you know, during the day you have your nighttime regulars too. But I think daytime is where most of your regulars appear. Your regular uh, regulars. Yeah, um, it's much easier to notice them too, right? Because there's so less people. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, and you're and, more sober. And, and, yeah, everybody's sober. <laughs> uh, uh, but at night, you know, it's busier, and so the bartenders don't have as much time to talk to people on an individual basis as they do during the day. And uh, but uh, but we do have a lot of regulars that come in during the day as a big family, and so you know they keep us alive. Now, the bar itself is, as we said, a part of the community. It's a community bar, neighborhood bar. And you, as bar owners, also give back to the community by doing fundraisers and events and things and supporting community efforts, correct? Yes. So did I see something in one of your uh, video clips about the uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence in in, uh, San Francisco? Did they, did they do some events at your bar? Well, we, we had one specific um, event, which was a fundraiser for a documentary called Stilettos for Shanghai by Monet Wilcox. Uh, yeah. And um, they, she basically had gone to China with Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and tried to understand their culture there and how they're being hidden and how they have to hide and move parties and stuff like that to avoid government shutdowns and stuff like that. Um, and that was that, that was one of the fundraisers we did with them. Very cool. Yeah. And I know they're big out there. I think they get, didn't they get started in San Francisco? Isn't that the yeah. original chapter? Yes, they did. And they used to take care of a lot of the events in the Castro, like uh, uh, Pink Saturday, they were, they were in charge of, you know, uh, you know, getting people in through the, they had entrances, uh, and um, they had uh, security and stuff like that. But the city didn't really um, give them much money to keep that up. So uh, they stopped uh, doing that. Uh, and as well with Halloween, they, you know, it used to be such a big deal, Halloween, because uh, everybody came from everywhere. It was like a mob scene in the Castro. Um, and the sisters used to, you know, look over that too. And, uh, that a, a couple of times got violent. So the, the city decided to close that down. And so Halloween is not the big deal. It used to be, um, but, uh, it's still a big deal, but, uh, you know, it used to be the best, actually the best night for us ever. I mean, you know, all year Halloween was the best, the best night. Yeah. I remember those days. I, um, I've never been to San Francisco, so I haven't experienced it firsthand, but I remember, yeah. um, kind of equating it to on the East coast, we have fantasy fest in Key West and that's a huge Halloween thing that goes on for like 10 days and everybody gets into it. And yeah. I always had that same feeling about uh, San Francisco at Halloween, having this, you know, it seems like there were a few places around the country um, 
uh, New Orleans was another one that really yeah. dove into the whole Halloween kind of vibe and did did huge events and and street well, parties and all kinds of things. This was this was the one here was more organic. I mean, it 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 started out with just uh, the people showing up, gay people showing up in costume, and and then what happened to it was uh, the we got a lot of Bridget Tunnel people started coming in for it. And um, it it ended up getting violent. There's, you know, uh, people trying to beat up gay people and, you know, some uh, knife fights and some gun fights and stuff like that. So the the police just shut it down Um, and they try to do it every year. Uh, um, So it's not the it's not the big event it used to be. Moby Dick has been around for 40 years. And has done well. Oh, yeah. You've 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 given it a facelift, and you know it, it looks nice and fresh, and it's it's going well again. What do you envision for the next forty years? <laughs> when you well, have part, your part of birthday, you'll be a hundred. Well, be hundred and ten. Yeah, I mean, right now uh, Joe's seventy, almost. I'm almost sixty. Um, so obviously we won't have it forever. Yeah. Um, but you know. When Victor sold the place, he looked for somebody who he knew, who was part of the community, and also would probably continue with the same model. And it would be our goal to, when we get to the point that we're going to sell, that we find another, say, sponsor who wants the same thing and it will sign up for the same thing. Because really, it is part of the community and it belongs to the community. we got to keep it there. So you can envision... Moby Dick still being around 30, 40, 50 years from now. That is our hope. I think so. Actually, as a friend of ours put put it in a certain way that I thought was amusing. He said that uh, the Castro is kind of the uh, fisherman's wharf of uh, the, the gay world. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite the heart of, uh, you know, the gay movement uh, like it used to be. And um, it, it's more people coming in to see, you know, it's like going to the hate to see hippies or something. Um, so, yes, I think it'll still be there. Um, and we certainly want to sell it when we sell it uh, to somebody who's gay or who wants to keep it a gay bar. Because uh, I'd hate to see it change, really. Uh, it's such an institution and it's a nice place to be. So I I, I hope that it stays what it is. Well, I agree. It's been, it's like, you know, very rewarding to, to find out that there are bars out there that have endured for the long haul, you know, yeah. so many bars in the last 10 or 20 years have gone by the wayside. Some that were around for decades, some that were around for minutes, mm. uh, but you know, Moby Dick's been there for over four decades and yeah, still yeah. there and still looking good. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you taking care of it the way you have for the last 20 years and keeping it in the same vibe as it was intended to be from the beginning. Yes, so thank you. You've done a great job preserving our history and, and preserving a part of the colorful gay past that we have over the, you know, the last five or six decades. Right. And we try to make it colorful, too. You know, uh, some of those drag shows are wild. I see. Yeah. One, of the things, one of the things we have been missing is some sort of a 
stronger historical understanding of what has taken place and what it is. So this is a really nice. Oh yeah, and I, I have some pictures of uh, Jane Fonda when she was Jane Fonda came in uh, one night to talk about I don't know whatever her cause was at that moment, but I have some pictures of her at Moby Dick Bar along with uh, um, her husband at the time who was Ty Hayden, I think it was. And um, yeah, so she's been there. Um, and uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Robin, Robin Williams used to have us in his uh, stand-up act uh, when he talked about San Francisco because he found our uh, name amusing. Uh, and so he'd mentioned us a couple of times. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, many people, I don't understand why. Uh, when, when I was younger, you know, Dick was a common word. Yeah. Dick Cavett, Dick Nixon, all these dicks that were mm-hmm. no big deal. Um, currently, I have a roommate whose name is Dick. And every time we go somewhere and, you know, they ask, well, what's the name for that order? And he says, Dick, they laugh. Like, you know, 18, 20, 25-year-olds, they think it's funny. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. do you realize how many people in history had the name Dick. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of those little, um, it's like a little teenage schoolgirl giggle. <laughs> yeah, that giggle, yeah. But, you know, obviously, uh, when a gay bar has that name, right. you know exactly what it means. It's not, not to mention they're not, it's not being, a, uh, you know, somebody's name, really. And the fact that it's a sperm whale helps. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we have a big piece of coral in our, um, in our fish tank that looks like a very large uh, penis, yeah. Well, we won't hold that against you. No. <laughs> well. So yeah, it, it's a it 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 is uh, taxing sometimes to own it because of the problems, you know, like with like now with COVID and um, you know, and when the economy crashed in the two two thousand and eight or whatever it was. Uh, but it has always been kind of a joy to have it as well because we know people have a good time and our friends uh, like to go there, have events and, you know, we're going to have a birthday party there. So, uh, you know, um, we'll keep it alive. And when it when it's time for us to stop being the custodians, then we'll sell it to somebody who uh, will try and keep it alive too, I hope. Well, when you're ready to do that 130th birthday party, make sure you have, you have a, some beefy shirtless guy with a fire extinguisher standing close by, because that's a lot of candles for a small bar. Hey, seriously. Yeah, really. And I'll have to be in my hazmat suit, uh, my bulletproof hazmat suit. <laughs> so <laughs> that'll be a track. Yeah, that'll be very good. Anyhow, so if you yeah, we'll some that. sequins on it. Put yeah, some sequins on it, it'll it'll spice it up make it gay there you go yeah well thank you so much for um for taking care of of the moby dick for these last 20 years and for taking the time today to share some of the stories about the bar and let the world know about what moby dick was like and is like so i appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today thank you um we appreciate uh you having us on your show this this is fun uh it was fun to talk about it and i like talking about my business our business business. that concludes another episode of the gay archive show for more information about this episode or to find more episodes visit gaybarchives.com